0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. St. Matthew's account of of Christ healing the paralyzed man is a noticeably simplified version of the parallel account in chapter 2 of the Gospel of St. Mark. In St. Mark's telling, we get the harrowing details of the man's friends carving a hole in the roof of a house so as to lower their friend on a pallet down before Jesus, of Jesus' healing of the men, and of the dramatic and contentious dialogue that ensues. St. Matthew, however, drops most of that narrative to give particular emphasis to Jesus' words. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. The words cause an uproar because the forgiveness of sins is the prerogative of God alone. To claim it as a man is an act of blasphemy. The controversy and why people react so strongly in the lesson is not unreasonable or hard to understand. We could even sympathize with the hearers of such an audacious-sounding statement. But then, we have to remember all the things we've then learned, that we have to return to see through the lens of Christ's passion and resurrection in order to rightly interpret anything that Jesus says and does. That revelation of what happens on Good Friday and Easter Sunday is essential for our understanding of anything, really. The self-offering of the Son of God atones for the sins of the whole world, and his rising again reveals his authority as Lord over sickness and death. Everything that happens in the scriptures is to be seen in relation to these events. On the cross, Jesus takes away the sins of the world, and at the tomb, Jesus reveals his power to break the chains of death. The passion and the resurrection are the center of history, not only for the Bible, but for all human events. The end of all time was revealed back during the first Holy Week. History has not progressed. History cannot progress beyond Holy Week. The world cannot pardon itself for the act of crucifying the Son of God, it cannot just move on. The world and all of its ways from beginning to end are being pulled with an unavoidable gravity to stand before the crucified and the risen Christ. Which brings us back to Jesus with the paralytic. The healing miracle and all of Jesus' healing miracles are extensions of the power of Christ's passion and resurrection, a measure of that ultimate healing of sin and death, a sign of the good things to come. Jesus speaks of this when he asks, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or rise up and walk? For Jesus, to proclaim forgiveness and healing are ultimately the same thing, his mighty work of making all things new in the resurrection. Forgiveness and healing are ultimately two facets of that same redemptive work that will be completed as the whole world is pulled in and through the cross and raised to newness of life in the resurrected world. The paralytic is an icon that shows us the grisly truth about everything, and everyone. Sin, sickness, death, they all leave us immobile, cut off, and helpless. And in that state, we all come to Jesus, and everything hinges on what he says next. He says, your sins are forgiven. Arise. The whole of the Christian life, is to live as becomes those to whom Christ has said this and continues to say it, and will ultimately say it on the last day. Sin is a violation of known moral laws, a breaking of relational obligations, yes. But sin is, foundationally, a corruption of God's good world, like a spiritual cancer an incurable wound that infects and afflicts and paralyzes and kills every bit of our lives, soul and body. Forgiveness is then the healing of that moral and existential wound. Forgiveness, if it means anything real at all, is the supernatural work that God is doing, a gift that can only come from the Father, in and known through the Son, performed by the presence and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But even though this is the case, we still try with all our might to do this work on our own. We offer imperfect apologies to each other, restitution, pay penances, live with the burden of shame and regret, and all the ways we try to medicate that shame and regret. Left to ourselves, though, the best we can do with these grave problems of sin is to delay the inevitable, to cauterize the wound, to seal off the bleeding, even if it means leaving awful scars that pile up on our minds and our bodies and our hearts. This cruel sort of self-care takes a heavy toll over time, and we inflict it in turn on each other. In relationships, our halting attempts to forgive under our own power are ultimately just ways of staving off the fear of revenge over wrongs done to one another that pile up over time in the hope that punishment might not fall too heavy upon us and that we might not actually be treated as we have treated others. But nothing can break the human tragedy of crime and punishment, except if someone who is not bound by the vengeance that belongs to the rest of us should enter freely into the fray and absorb that vengeance to himself. Forgiveness is a work only God can do. And the good news of the gospel for us is that forgiveness is a work that God is indeed doing. But God will have our loyal participation in this forgiveness. Christ extends his authority of forgiveness to the apostles and to the church. After the resurrection, Jesus breathes on his apostles and says to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. If it seemed audacious for Jesus himself to offer forgiveness to the paralyzed man, then this seems especially unthinkable. But that is what the resurrected Lord has spoken, and it is so. The church is tasked then with stewarding this awesome gift and privilege to partake of and to extend the healing and forgiveness of the resurrection to those who seek it. In the sacramental world of the church, these graces are known to us by the names of confession and of unction. These sacraments extend the power of God's forgiveness and healing from his new creation through the cross of Jesus to bind that power to our lives. We must note here, though, that these graces do not spare us our own path to and through the cross. Confession restores us objectively to the life we received in baptism, the life alone that can pass through death. Unction marks our wounds and frailties with the sign of Christ's cross, bestowing on them the power to become glorious, like Christ's own wounds are glorious. But... Just as our Lord, the master over sickness and illness and death, still became obedient to the cross and its suffering, so we must become obedient to our share of it with him. Healing and forgiveness are ours in Christ, but they are inextricable from our journey to the cross with him. The experience of forgiveness and healing that we are able to receive in the life of the church bestows a grace that empowers us to extend that forgiveness and healing to those outside. We forgive as we have been forgiven. Because genuine forgiveness is God's work, and because that work has been entrusted to the church and its members, We have to understand here that it is the church's job now to show the world what real forgiveness and healing mean. The world does not know how to forgive on its own. And it does not have the power to offer forgiveness as it is known to the people of God. There is no other institution in the world that can do this in our stead. And if we do not do it, God will still raise up and extend his healing and forgiveness to the world in extraordinary ways. But we, to whom it was entrusted, will be held accountable and will be judged for withholding that very necessary and that very precious gift. As we would be forgiven, so we must forgive. To be a Christian means To encounter the Christ who forgives and who heals through his body, the church. It means to be formed by these graces in thankfulness and in humility and in godly love. And it means the offering of his forgiveness and healing in our relationships with each other. Everything we know is being drawn inevitably back to the cross. History though it seems to move forward, is actually being pulled back to that day and that moment. And through the cross, which is the end of this world's life with all of its sin and all of its loss and sickness and death, is the life of the world to come just beyond it. The world of Christ's resurrection. The world without end. Let's go there together. Let's get back to the good work of the good news of the gospel. Back to confession, back to reconciliation, and back to healing. And like the friends of the paralyzed man, let's bring as many people along with us as we can. As St. Paul says, we are members of one another. Let all bitterness Wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.